In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. We're really blessed today, and I know you will be, to uh, hear from Dr. Stephen Machia. Uh, Stephen just finished a uh, workshop here for us, a seminar, um, for about 60, 70 people, I guess, who are really still in there buzzing and talking about how how rich and rewarding it was. And so he's going to share a little bit of his story and what he does in ministry with you, whether you're on the treadmill or in traffic, uh, you're going to be blessed right now. So welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Mark. Great to be with you, brother. And it's been wonderful to be here this weekend. I, I love your church. The people have been so kind to me and so welcoming and very gracious in all the time that we shared together. Well, we only invited the nice ones to this conference, so, so that was good. <laughs> good decision. Good decision. <laughs> just kidding. It is a great church. We are um, so, so blessed by you and uh, just your journey in ministry. You've been in ministry for 41 years. Did I remember that right? Yeah, and I'm only 42, so go figure. Golly, that's, a, that's an early calling. Huh? But yeah. married for 40. Yeah, married for 40 years, ministry for 41. Mostly uh, in the New England part of the United States, right? Mostly up in the Northeast. I live in Lexington. Massachusetts, which is about 15 miles out of Boston, mm-hmm. and have been in the same home for about 35 of those years. It's amazing. Raised our family in that house. I talked about my quirky house um, a little bit this weekend. It's been a it's been a teachable house for me. I've learned all sorts of personal lessons and spiritual lessons <laughs> by taking care of an old home and trying to maintain it and use it for our family and for God's glory. Well, you know, when you started out with um, the seminar um, talking about the plumbing in your house, I, yeah. I thought, boy, we're, we're, what is, why, we didn't, we, we don't want to know about your plumbing. You know? <laughs> and uh, then you turned it so beautifully. Why don't you just give a snapshot to our listeners about um, what you were saying? Well, I told the story about uh, living in the house for over 30 years with really low water pressure. And it wasn't until we replaced the water heater for, I don't know, the third or fourth time when the plumber said to us, you know, you really need to take care of this water pressure. Or if you don't, by the time you want to sell it, you're going to have to change it no matter what. And I asked him, well, what does that require? He said, well, you need a new water line from the house to the street where the water main is. So make a long story short, we got that done and then realized that we had lived for all those years with just a nail head's width of water coming into the house. No wonder the pressure was so low. Mm Mm-hmm. And as a family, you know, you didn't, you could only do one thing at a time. You could only wash the dishes or take a shower (laughs) or turn on the sprinkler outside. But if you ever wanted to add one more thing into the mix, you were scorching someone's back in the shower Uh. or, or the like. But, and what I equated with that story is that instead of having the full water pressure, we lived for 30 years, more than 30 years with, with very, Mm. just a little uh, pressure for Mm. our family. And I equated it to the Christian life, how often we we just get by with just a little bit of God, you know, three dollars mm-hmm. worth of God was another <laughs> way to describe it as you know, just very little, and we can have so much more. Mm-hmm. And so I just invited the folks here to consider the wide, abundant, uh, generous, lavishing love of God. Mm-hmm. You don't have to just have a nail heads with, you can have the full 
the fullness of a life with God. And and to me, getting a grip on that for my own self has really changed me. It's like, yeah, I can have I can have the fullness of God, the fullness of his spirit, the fullness of his joy. I don't have to just sort of live with the just enough to get by. But so many of us do. So many of us yeah, just settle. And I wonder if it isn't because, of like your house, you didn't know. Yeah, we didn't know. We just assumed everybody lived this way. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it's not like we never left the house. Of course, we left the house, we traveled, and but we never really thought about it, that yeah. this was hindering life. And yeah, we just did what we were supposed to do. Right. But it's transformed our life at the house, you know, since then. We have we can like take a shower and, and not be scorched and if someone's <laughs> flushing the toilet downstairs, you know, and before that, that alone was worth it. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I think the spiritual life is one that we can see as abundant, mm-hmm. not just scarce or minimal. It's an abundant life. Abundant life. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's what we're all looking for. I think it's what God designed for us, don't you? Yeah, I really do. Well, you're an author. You uh, teach a doctoral program at a seminary. You've been a former, uh, you're a ministry leader. You've run organizations, uh, nurturing the soul of leaders is what I uh, know about you. Um, So being called into ministry at one year old. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Yeah. Did all of this uh, just come to you naturally, uh, all no. this soul-tending type of depth of, of, of awareness of God, or did, yeah, is that no. something you learned along the way? I did learn along the way, although I was raised in a family, of, particularly a mom who was a very spiritual woman. She was very simple, very humble, didn't need much in life, always saw her role as being hospitable to everyone who entered our home. So our home was a, a lived-in home. It wasn't she didn't. She didn't put plastic on the, on the chairs. You know, she's <laughs> like, come in, make yourself at home. And we live here. And so I think as a child, I was really always just welcomed into the experience of of the Christian life. But as I as I grew up and I and I made my own commitment to Christ as a high school student, and then chose a life of ministry as a college and then seminary student. Uh, I was I was I was a driven man. I, I really wanted to accomplish and and strategize and build something big and worked hard at doing that and pushed everyone around me to to make that happen as well. And so about I don't know about 20 or so years into my ministry I realized I was I was on a treadmill and I was inviting everybody else to be on a treadmill with me. And I started seeing a spiritual director. This was about 25 plus years ago now. And that direction experience actually became probably the most significant part of my journey when someone was listening to my story and I was giving voice to it. They, this person didn't know me. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have to, you know, there was no assumption attached to my story. He just listened to the purity of the story and helped me kind of unpack it. And Were you um, becoming personally aware that you were burning out or were, that you were on this treadmill of, or did somebody I mean, make that obvious to you? It was more self-awareness. I I didn't tell the story this weekend, but <clears throat> one of my travels took me to St. John, New Brunswick, Canada, but I ended up in St. John's, Newfoundland instead, which if you know the Canadian uh, geography, it's 500 miles in a province away from where I was supposed to be. Oops. And that was kind of a wake-up call for me, that I ended up in the wrong airplane, going to the wrong destination, and then I blamed everybody else. I blamed my assistant, and I blamed you know, anybody but looking at myself to say, 
wow, you didn't notice the apostrophe S between St. John and St. John's, <laughs> and you didn't even know that you were in the wrong you know, province of Canada. And I'm here on a Friday night, supposed to be speaking on a Saturday morning, oh, wow. and I was 500 miles away from where I needed to be. It was at that time in my life when I realized I was hopping on one wrong airplane after another, going to one wrong destination after another. They were all good destinations. They were all good things to do. But I was just trying to be busy. Hmm. So it was busyness and the need to be needed and the desire to build and to grow and to, you know, let's just run here. Let's go there. Let's learn from this person. Let's watch yeah. this success story. Let's make it happen here. And wow. let's strategize to make it bigger and better. And, you know, the big, better, bigger, better, bolder, new, next, now was, was my mantra. Hmm. And I realized, you know, where am I going? Where's, mm-hmm. and it was at that time when I went to the wrong province of Canada that I actually had an experience with my ministry that I realized, oh my gosh, I wasn't even attending to the financials like I should. I wasn't attending to the people. We were almost out of money. I was like one paycheck away from draining the the, wow. the, the, the resources. This so was a real awakening time for you. It was an awakening. And I, I was hitting a wall personally, and I was bringing the ministry I was a part of to a wall. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute, you know? And yeah. it was at that point that I turned to mentors, I turned to a spiritual director. I'm like, this is out of control, and uh, I'm not sure where it's going to lead. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was then when I said, you know, I, I need to tend to my soul. My, my soul has been neglected. So where did it lead? It led to, um, it led to a reshaping of, of our ministry. It led to a redefinition of my roles and responsibilities and it ultimately led to my uh, sort of um, starting something fresh, so starting something new, because the ministry I was a part of was continuing to expand and grow. And I knew that after 14, 14 and a half years, I had probably done what I could do there. Uh, it was time for me to settle into a new way of living and a new way of being. And God, in his infinite love and mercy, he actually woke me up with a dream one August Sunday morning. He's never spoken to me like that before or since, but I Mm. needed to pay attention to that dream. And I gathered a group around me to help me discern the dream. And it ended up being the startup of a new ministry, Leadership Transformations, uh, several months later. And I left Vision New England and I left my, you know, the sort of the comfort of a healthy ministry. At this point, it had become very healthy. And and financially and ministry-wise, we had a team of 75 people and 35 different ministry initiatives. And mm-hmm. things were in good shape when I left. I was really pleased with it, but I, I, I had realized there was something else for me. I didn't want to be limited ge- geographically to the Northeast. And I, did, and I wanted to actually focus more intentionally on soul care for leaders. Hmm. So... God woke me up with a dream. There were parts and pieces of that that I needed to pay attention to in my own journey, my ministry life. And then we started this new ministry um, 16 years ago in July 1, 2003. Well, it's it's an amazing story of obedience um, as well. So uh, kudos to you for actually doing what the Lord called you to do. Well, it was a risk. You know, I only had one donor (laughs) check in my pocket. I had that fall, my son was going to, to a Christian college and my daughter was going to a Christian high school. So I had a lot of school debts that I was facing. I had no idea how I was going to pay for it. Wow. So it could have been an utter disaster. <laughs> but God, again, because of yeah. his kindness and his call, the clarity of his call, yeah. you know, he just one step at a time, one ministry at a time, uh, we we built this, this new ministry. It's been awesome. You know, that's an interesting, you said the call of God. So many people, including myself, have always seen the call of God as 
uh, often a very abstract, confusing thing. But mm-hmm. one of the lines you, you've used repeatedly since I've known you is, is that God is a God of clarity, yeah. not of confusion. What do you mm-hmm. mean by that? Yeah, God, God makes his way clear. Um, he, the biblical text is clear. The invitation to obedience and faithfulness is clear. It's it's us that get things foggy. We're not listening very well. So we, we say we're confused or we're frustrated or we're angry or we're, you know, despondent or we're you know, just not sure what's next. And, and most of the time, it's not because of God not making things clear to us. It's us um, interrupting mm-hmm. the the connecting point, mm-hmm. if you will. And so instead of entrusting our lives to God, going to God, we go to others. We say, so what do you think, Mark? You know, yeah. so What do you think God's saying, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you tell me what I should do. And God is saying, no, I'm here, and I'm, I'm willing to kind of make my way clear to you. It may be in a time frame that's different than what we would hope. Um, it may be in a different means by which he will make that clear. Mm-hmm. But I have experienced the fact that God is always clear. It's us that are not listening well or responding appropriately or wanting to make our own way rather than follow obediently after the voice of God. Mm-hmm. You, you, list, you work with a lot of leaders, a lot of spiritual leaders as well, and, and many of our listeners are leading in some capacity. They may be a pastor, they may be a ministry organization leader, they may be a businessman or stay-at-home mom who's trying to lead other men and women into a deeper spiritual experience through disciple-making. Um, what are you seeing, Stephen, in your world of what's holding us back um, from from leading and, and fulfilling all the potential that God has for us? That's a great question. I think it's there's a multifaceted answer. It's a complex um, set of issues that we're facing. <clears throat> yeah, personally, on the you know, who am I question, you know, who, who has God made me to be? So one of the things we worked on this weekend was the crafting of a personal rule of life so that we can become more aware of the true me rather than the false me. Mm-hmm. Because so much of the world is promoting the false you, mm-hmm. you know, be successful, be rich, be beautiful, be, you know, be busy, be busy. And we we buy into that because yeah. we are busy. We are overly taxed in our efforts every day and we're trying to make the best we're trying to fill as many uh, voids as possible in a given yeah. day but we're not pausing you know so we're i think the busyness has led to a lack of attentiveness hmm. so one of the things is i think we need we need to become more attentive to god and to ourselves and to each other so that's that's that means you have to slow down in order to really be more attentive and be more loving yeah what's what's such a paradigm shift on that is you think <clears throat> To do, hear God more, read more, study more, feels like more things to do. Yeah, on it's an actually, already busy life. Yeah, it's actually less things to do because <laughs> you're you're having to say no. Yeah, to the very things that are actually tying you up in a, in a knot. Mm-hmm. So, but it does require that you say some no's in order to make space for for God to speak. The so space. I, I, speak to that for a second. The space creating space. Yeah. I think that's the number one spiritual discipline is creating space. Mm. And what I mean by that is uncluttered, unhindered, uh, open spaciousness where I can uh, be alone or even be with you in a spacious place where we're not hindered by our cell phones, our to-do lists, our expectations, our responsibilities, 
to produce and to uh, be effective and be strategic. Instead, we need spaciousness where we can just sort of put our feet up, close our eyes, invite God to speak, open the Word, and actually slowly read it so that the Scriptures can do the renewing work that the Scriptures want to do in us. Mm. It's a, that's a living text. The Bible is a living text. We close off the life of it because we just read it to study it, to memorize it, or exegete it, or to organize it. But I think in our prayer closets, we need time for the Spirit of God to let the Word of God just sort of wash over us and allow us spaciousness to savor it, to enjoy it, to notice it, to like look at it underneath and above and around and the various sides where we're really saying, okay, so I mentioned the the Psalm 62, verse 1, my soul finds rest in God alone. Can we just sit with one verse in our prayer closets? Can we just let that one verse wash over us? Uh, Because we're so busy, we don't do that. Yeah, I want to make sure that if you're listening out there that you really get what he just said. I want to revisit that real quick because that's so important. Uh, You told us that it's the seven words that can change your life. Yeah. And that verse was again what? Psalm 62, verse 1a. Actually, it's the first part of one. Uh But it's my soul Mm -hmm. finds rest in God alone. And the reason why I think it's a life-changing verse is because it can become a breath prayer during your busy day when you're looking for rest or meaning in life in just about every other place but God. Like if I could if I could buy one more time-saving gadget, <laughs> right. I would have more time, right? Yeah. Only to find out, no, not exactly. <laughs> right. That doesn't exist. We have to make some decisions ourselves to say, yeah. no, I really I really want to I really want to know God. I really want to know him personally. I really mm-hmm. want to receive from him. I want to I want to read his word. That's the primary way that God speaks. With the mm-hmm. the word of God has been preserved for us throughout all these centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it matters to God. And yeah. there's no other piece of literature like the Holy Bible. But we and not don't only, I think, spend a lot has of God time with it. preserved his word, um, but he really desires to perform it in our life. Yeah. To make it come off the page and become part of our actual Tuesday morning story mm-hmm. or our Thursday morning experience. Exactly. He wants us to incarnate the very word that he speaks to us. Mm. So how does it how does it get to the place where where the word is so embedded in us that then we live in a new way. We're living in a new way. So when I say slow down and read the scriptures really meditatively and reflectively, it's even repeating it as if I've never heard it before. And when you think about it, it's only been about 500 years that we've even had a written Bible. Before that, it was it was audible. Yeah. So the people of God gathered in public spaces and the learned one had some sort of scroll and would read it t- to the public. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, the public settings, whether they're large or small, they were dependent upon someone who could read the text for them. Yeah. So the only sense they had was to hear. So by hearing the word, I can almost picture in those settings pre-Reformation, pre pre-Gutenberg press, Mm -hmm. when I'm in a public space and you're the learned one and you're reading the scroll to us, I'm saying as a father, as my children are standing there with me, read that again. Mm. Say that again. Mm -hmm. Read it all over again. Start again from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like on the edge of my seat. I want to hear that text. And what did they do? They actually memorized the text, not because they read it, but because they heard it. How about that? 
So in my prayer closet, I want to go and let my ears do the listening and my eyes do the reading and even read it with my my tongue so that I'm three of my senses are at least are coming alive so that my soul finds rest in God alone is something I'm voicing, something I'm reading and something I'm hearing. Hmm. And if I'm repeating that, then it's becoming a part of me. So pre-Gutenberg, pre-written Bible, Mm -hmm. if you can go into your prayer closet and almost imagine that that's where you are, but you're actually reading it, you're on the edge of your seat. At least I hope you are. It's creative. It's imaginative. It's imaginative. It's creative. And and I think as, as we disciple people to read the scriptures... This needs to be a part of it. We're not just to read and study the scriptures, to memorize it, to write, to prepare, to preach and teach it. I believe in all that. I'm seminary trained. I work at a seminary. I believe in the importance of all of that exegetical, contextual work that we as disciples and disciple builders mm-hmm. need to be pressing into our followers. But in my prayer closet, I, I really think I need to let that go. Hmm. And instead... Let the word wash over me and do its cleansing, restorative work in me. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.